Hello and welcome to another episode of The Hooligan Report. It's our last episode of the season, well, part one of our last episode of the season. Uh, and I'm joined by Cookson. Hello. And I'm also joined by JD2010. Hey there. So it's been a uh, pretty interesting season, I would say. Pretty um, unexpected one in many ways, with both the clubs that got relegated, Newcastle and Aston Villa, long-standing clubs of the Premier League, uh, and also the champions. I mean, Leicester City crown champions would not have been uh, a title that we would have expected to see at the start of the season. Um, so what were your thoughts on the season as a whole, uh, Cookson? Yeah, well, can there were some unexpected things. That sound, said. that sound seemed to summarise uh, United fans' feelings of the season. No, that'd be falling asleep and snoring. <laughs> but yes, unexpected season. I mean, you got Leicester again on top, Tottenham Hotspur having a pretty decent season, and again with well the recently promoted clubs. Well, two of them having relatively decent seasons. And also West Ham proving that they're, well, elevating themselves to another level, trying to get consistent European football. Do you think maybe that's sort of the theme of this season was that sort of improvement from the the lesser teams? So, as you say, I mean, Watford and Bournemouth had really unexpectedly good seasons, but you also had Southampton, West Ham, and then obviously Leicester and Spurs also outperforming expectations? Well, Southampton have been steadily improving, so perhaps it's more now them getting to, well, standard level, kind of where Everton was a few years ago. But again, they've improved massively, but on the inverse, you could say that the big clubs, they've gone backwards at an alarming pace. I mean, Arsenal was, was stagnant for most of the season. Man City pretty much had half a season then. Again, with zombies, United were boring, and Chelsea, well, they didn't really have a season to be proud of. How did you see the season, uh, JD? Obviously, Spurs exceeding expectations, but then ultimately yeah. falling short of the title, which, as the season progressed, I guess, became the expect well, not expectation, but the hope. Yeah, it, it was a pretty crazy season for, for us and kind of for the whole league, really. Um, like just Chelsea season and Leicester season. If you said that at the beginning of the year, what would happen? Yeah, people would have just laughed at you. So, yeah, I don't know. It was just kind of like like uh, Cookson was saying, the top sides dropped off at an alarming rate, but then those sides like Tottenham and Southampton and West Ham really took it up as well and closed that gap. So, And obviously Leicester, Leicester too. So... Yeah, it was it was a fun season to to watch, especially probably a bit more fun for me than Cookson because yeah, United <laughs> one were pretty boring, but two were were one of those sides that didn't exceed expectations. Um, yeah, it would have been frustrating for for a lot of those other teams, but for the neutral and and Spurs fans and yeah, just general football fans it was quite quite an exciting season, I'd say. Do you think the success of Spurs, Leicester and also Southampton to sort of pluck, um, I wouldn't say obscure players, but lesser known players from clubs for, for decent deals uh, and actually have that as, the, like, uh, as building their season and actually building their squad around those sorts of players, do you think that will sort of um, influence the way that 
Premier League clubs recruit players going into the future, or do you think that was sort of a, a once a one-off sort of event where these sides did so well, and with Guardiola and Mourinho and, and so on back in the league next season that they'll just go back to throwing money at players? I definitely think they'll throw money at players, but I think there's, you know, there's no longer a clear big four. You've got Liverpool as well, who are going to improve, you'd think, and Southampton, West Ham, and even someone like Stoke have signed probably four or five, you know, fantastic players that next season are going to be even better. Um, you know, it starts to become a, a top eight, eight sides that, and Leicester as well, like eight or nine sides that really. Wouldn't surprise you if next season they made the top four. Um, it's just about getting those Payet signings or Dali Alley. You know, you don't have to go and, and sign like City did today. They got uh, Gundogan from Dortmund. I think I said it right. But I think that's got to be the uh, one of my favourite ways a, a player signing has been announced was his tweet to Man City saying, yeah. come on, <laughs> announce it, announce it. <laughs> yeah, it's quite a quite interesting that it it seemed like a done deal for days, but it seemed to take those last little bits took a while. But yeah, like he'll he'll probably you know be a great signing for them. But you know, Payets and Kante and Mares and Ali, Ali, they're not going to be looked at by those top clubs, and you know they're all team of the season quality players. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it goes next season. Um, I think the gaps getting massive from the mid-table English clubs to say that mid, mid-range, mid you know, Italian, French, Spanish sort of teams. Um, but, yeah, it's just going to be a lot harder to stay for, for Tottenham, to stay in that top four, because you've got about six or seven teams that could definitely knock us out. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's becoming so competitive. I was, I was about to bring you in there, Cookson, as a supporter of United. Do you think that there'll be that sort of status quo resumed next season? Do you think United will sort of recruit well enough to to push back up into that top four? Well, I would say yes. I mean, the virtue of just getting Mourinho is enough. I mean, the side we have now is better than our last two title-winning sides by far. I mean, in, in, in what in what sense? In, in term, surely your, your defence is quite weak at the moment. Midfield's a bit well, Vidic, underwhelming. Vidic was good in 2011, but he was injured mainly for, from pretty much from 20... Well, September 2011 onwards, he was half the player he was. Rio got old. We had rotations at right-back, and Evra at left-back, he was quite old. Midfield, we had Michael Carrick and a, like a well, 50-year-old Paul Scholes. <laughs> So again, it's just man for man. The squad's improved, but it's just how they're done. Like managing makes such a big difference, as Leicester have shown. And with signings, I mean, I would say it's now harder than ever for mid-table clubs in the Premier League to get those cheap signings because the Premier League, like TV deal, suddenly those 10 million players will turn into 25 million dollar players. Yeah, I was actually... So they can afford it now. Like, I, I think would, there was that article saying, I think, 16 of the 20 richest clubs or something like that are now Premier League teams. But I understand I, I understand, Cooks, I understand Cookson's point. I, are you saying, Cookson, that if you want to look at those players overseas, the clubs will sort of hold out for more money from Premier League clubs? Yeah, yeah. yeah essentially. Yeah. I mean, it's happened to United all the time. I mean, 
a player goes, well, we go in for a player, suddenly the price is, you know, 10 million pounds more than what's normally happening. And it was so. what happened with Spurs when they were selling Bale, that they actually tried to do the deals and bring in the players before they sold Bale because of that theory that if clubs mm. knew that they had 100 million pounds behind them all of a sudden, they'd hold out for a lot more money um, in the deals. Yeah, the thing with signing like Kante and and Mares, it's not just scouting a guy who's done brilliantly and has you know impeccable stats and everyone knows, oh you know we can bump this guy's price up. I think the scouts saw enough in those guys and Dali Ali that they just thought he can become something even more. So you're not signing a guy that you know five or six teams are after. You've picked out a target that that suits a need and. Yeah, you, you just go in there with the, the offer and it tends to work. Um, it, remi- it reminds me a lot, though, of in, um, in Moneyball. The, I read the book a couple of months ago and it was similar in that where he would talk about the fact that after a while, opposition coaches or clubs would sort of see him coming. And and as you yeah. say, I mean, if Spurs are picking out the Dele Alli's and the uh, whoever's from all of these clubs, Kieran Trippier or whoever it is, eventually it gets to a point where the club goes, oh, well, hang on, if, if Spurs are interested in this guy, he must actually be pretty special, and they can still sort of recognise that interest? Yeah, but then you get, like, in Dortmund's case with Gundogan, once yeah. the contracts start to wind down, that, that value drops off, so yeah. it's kind of maximising, you know, you've got to sell at a point when they've got years on their con- contracts as well, so they can't be too picky and think, oh, we'll just wait for a bidding war because, you know, two years later that guy could be a, a flop like a Soldado or something and, you know, it was just at that point they could have got $15 million and two years later they're, they're stuck with him. So, yeah, I don't think, I don't think there'll be too many, um, you know, lap, like Stoke spending $50 million on a player next season because they spent 20 this season on... Um, William Carr was it? No, who'd they get? Was it Carvalho? No, uh, um, oh, Imbula. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Imbula. Yeah. yeah. So I don't think a, a team's going to like half Stoke could spend twenty that year. They will last for forty this year. It's just, I don't know. I think they're just becoming so much richer than the rest of the world that teams are going to look at it and think, oh, let's cash in now. Let's let's take our money now because you got to remember a lot of. The clubs in Europe, they actually are struggling financially. Yeah, that's a so, good So um, when they do see, you know, a decent offer, it, it covers them. Because, um, yeah, a lot of those mid-table Spanish clubs, French clubs are actually, you know, not rich like a West Ham or a Stoke or even a Newcastle. Um, so, yeah, I just think the whole league's just going to keep getting stronger and stronger with that. Um, and, yeah, it'll be... Be tough because, like Cookson's saying, Mourinho's going to be a much better manager than Louis Van Gaal was. And they looked like they should have, on paper, been a, a title contender this year. So he doesn't have a heap to do. Then um, the same with City. You know, you'd think Guardiola was going to make them better again. So, yeah, it's going to be a tough season for, for all the teams. The thing is, though, with transfers, I've noticed is that, well, essentially, Ali went pretty early in February, didn't he? It was January, I think, yeah. 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 I mean, essentially, now big clubs are now going to go for more young signings mm. and then turn them into world-class. 
essentially, as soon as the Martial deal went through, that's changed the incomplete scene for transfers, in my opinion now. Because suddenly, well, teenagers he, and 20, young 20-year-olds... But he was a Champions League player. Like, that was a... Everyone knew who he was before Man United got him. But someone like Kante was playing wherever he was in his mid-table French side. And I think Mares was, was second division, a f- second division French yeah. side, wasn't he? So there, there's going to be those those examples like um, even Sterling, for instance. You know, he's he's known. He's played Champions League. He's played national. If you're signing a 19, 20 year old with all that, you're going to spend a lot. Of, have to spend a lot of money. Well, but, just just on that topic, then we'll, we'll bring in we'll bring it to the topic of best and worst signings for the season, and and I'll put it to you, JD. Um, who who was your best and who was your worst signings of the season? Um, obviously, Kante is probably going to be the obvious choice, but close second would have been Alderweireld. Um, that turned, I think we had the second or third worst defence in the league, and yeah, he was the the main defensive signing plus moving Dyer back, um, and he was just fantastic. And he was fantastic at Southampton the year before. But yeah, Kante just—I just didn't couldn't believe how he actually was improving as the season went on. Like he was surprisingly good at the beginning, but just kept getting better and better. And by the end, yeah, you know, you saw, saw all the memes and and stuff all over Facebook, and he's just a, a fantastic player. Um, and yeah, if they could find another signing or two like him next season, you know, there's no reason they can't stay up there. Um, and, and what about worst signing? Worst, worst has got to be Depay. <laughs> he, Thought you'd yeah, go there. He, he's just, just thinks he, he just seemed to think he was he made it by, by signing for the United. Um, seems like a very, yeah, very confident individual, and it, it backfired, and he didn't, just didn't show any kind of hard work to get it back on track. But you know, maybe Mourinho. Could seem clashing, but he could maybe get the best out of him. So, but for this season, he was probably the worst. How about for you, Cookson? Um, I'll probably say well, Alderweireld. I mean, there is a dearth of good centre backs on this in the world at this moment. Yeah, that's true. I mean, let's feel Kante was good, but midfielders again, mm. you're going to get good defensive midfielders, but good centre backs enter like. Under twelve million pounds, it has to be him. Yeah, that's true. Actually, there there probably are a few more defensive midfielders out there that could perhaps do, you know, be Premier League like team of the season. But yeah, I couldn't think of too many other centre backs that we could have signed that could have got us in that spot. And how about for worst signing? Uh, for United point of view, it would have to be Memphis because. It's not that he he just got destroyed of all confidence, which is quite bizarre. But that and he is also he bogged up too much. Yeah, he did look, look at, a bit, bit yeah, large. Look at his footage from PSV days. He's just so much more slimmer, more agile. But now I think he become too big for the Premier League. He needs to like become slimmer, a lot better. Overall, worse signing. 
Oh, probably have to be half the Aston Villa side with that. I, oh, you, you stolen my uh, mind. I was going to go with half the Aston Villa side because when you consider... How much was Depay? Was Depay 28 million or something? 30 million? Uh, 22 million or something so, like that. When you, think, when, when you think the amount of money that Depay cost relative to United's budget compared to some of those Aston Villa players relative to their budget, they, they were just shocking signings. Um... I think, uh, is it gay? Guy? Gay? Yeah. Have you pronounced it? He, he must be that. He quite a bit, didn't he? But he would have been just about their only decent signing because um, I can't remember who it was on the board who um, compared his stats to Kante's and he actually outperformed Kante in quite a few stats. Um, but apart from him, you think Traore from Barcelona cost them, I think, eight or nine million and I think barely played. Um, yeah. I, I, you looked okay, but some of the some yeah, of I didn't mind. I thought he was woeful. not too bad, but I, I, you was okay, but yeah, um, Lescott was a. Oh, I don't even know if he was a free transfer, but yeah, I think he was that, a free transfer from West Brom or two yeah. million from West so Brom. So you know you've you know you're a bad signing if you're a free transfer and you're a candidate as worst signing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the other one I think was pretty ordinary was um, Stephen Naismith going to Norwich. He scored, not, he score not so his... much for his his performances, but that was just such a crap transfer for him to make as a player. Yeah. I thought maybe the, the contract was massive, but God, do you reckon looked... he might go to um, Rangers or or Celtic? Do you reckon he'd, he'd look to Scotland? He'd want to have a clause in that contract for rele- like a relegation release clause because yeah. that makes no sense why he'd go from all right Everton were you know. Lower, lower mid-table, but Norwich just did not look up to staying up. Yeah. Well, it just blew my mind when he signed for them in January. But we're also forgetting someone as well. I mean, Benteke came in, 32 No, nah, Benteke million. was all right. <laughs> didn't he wasn't suit, too bad. Didn't he didn't suit the manager's system. It was just a bizarre signing. I mean, he, well, he, he doesn't he suit the some points, though. He, he won them a lot of points with his late goals, but... Yeah. Um, the other, the other good signing that we haven't touched on is Dimitri Payet, who, in a lot yeah. of ways, I think, carried that West Ham side because you look at their form when he was injured and out of the side, and they really struggled without his goals, without his set-up play through the midfield. And he, he was the, basically that player that transitioned them from that mid-table club to really pushing for the top four. So uh, it's going to be really interesting what happens next season because I know he... He, he's made it pretty clear that he's not too um, too fussed about staying at West Ham if, if another bigger club comes along. Um, so whether they're able to sort of strengthen and build on this and, and kind of progress, or or whether he drops his head or he gets his head turned by other clubs or and, and ends up leaving or, or ends up staying but sulking or, or what happens. Mm. Um, but that's that's quite an interesting one as well. They they signed a few good guys that um Lanzini, Lanzini and yeah. Antonio. Yeah. And Antonio as well. So they won't obviously be in the top three or four, but they, I think they that were really good signings for them. Like Payet gets the the attention, but they they were quite handy players. Um, and now with the new new stadium they move into, that and money already, shouldn't be too, too much of an issue by the looks of it. And they've already uh, looked to become a bit active in the transfer window already with a few bids for uh, was it Lacazette that they went after. Yeah, and uh, is it Betsuya Hai or whatever? Yeah, like yeah, who I think looks like well, he might be heading your way. Yeah, one of the two. I think it's 
will get one and they possibly will get the other. Um, it looks like they get after Carlos, is it Carlos Backer from AC Milan. Yeah, that was name. the one that I was saying today. I think yeah. DB was talking um, about him. So, yeah, that's you know, big money for West Ham. Um, big spenders, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we'll talk now about um, games of the season, and we'll start with um, I'll start with you, JD, and I'll get your your favorite and least favorite game for Spurs, and then your favorite and least favorite game of the season overall. Um, favorite or least favorite was definitely Newcastle on the final. Oh, I'd, <laughs> yeah, I'd probably even say the first time we lost to Newcastle actually, because that was just one of those old. Tottenham games we should have been three or four up and they scored two goals in the final few minutes and, and stole it um, best game was winning away at City um, mainly for the reaction after the game with Poch and the players going over to the fans and it was kind of our first you know win against a, another title rival um, so yeah that was probably most enjoyable um Neutral-wise, probably Leicester against City. I think that just kind of showed that they were going to be right up there. Um, yeah, it took me a while to kind of believe that they'd stay around. But after that, that kind of, um, yeah, made me think that, you know, they're probably going to gonna do the, you know, do the whole job. Um Least favourite would probably be any of the times I unfortunately watch United play this season. <laughs> Again, which wasn't all my, all, too often. All my answers are getting stolen by you, Mob. Um, yeah, <laughs> I think I think you could throw a hat over most of the United games. Um, Cookson, are you able to pick out a favourite United game of the season? Yes, it's just <laughs> listing them. It's like Liverpool home game where Martial came and well, tore a new arsehole and Martin Skirtle has been. Shamed ever since. Uh, let's see. Uh, well, we beat Stoke three 0 That was an entertaining game, surprisingly. Uh, the Mitchetland game. Oh yeah. Rashford kicked two. Was that five one or something? Rashford kicked two. Yep. <laughs> and where we beat City, where Rashford scored. Least favorite game, or also winning the FA Cup. Of course. Least favourite game is just everything else. <laughs> what about um, in the league as a whole? What was your favourite game of the season as a neutral? <clears throat> Probably the Chelsea Spurs game because it was just <laughs> mouths all over the place and that was just humorous to watch. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, there's been quite a few um, entertaining games this season. I, I would say that that City... Leicester game was probably my favourite as a neutral because um, that was definitely the game as you say JD, it was definitely the game where you started to believe Leicester could actually win the title and the, some of the goals they scored were pretty um, pretty outstanding um, yeah I didn't really have a least favourite game of the season I suppose as you say any, any United game uh, any Villa game that I happened to watch that wasn't too entertaining um, was probably be up there why were you watching a Villa game? <laughs> well it did actually just, just re- asking for trouble it, it did actually just remind me that I have to re- I have to um, 
correct myself on my favourite game of the season. I think my favourite game of the season was actually Leicester against Aston Villa about three or four rounds in, where um, Aston Villa went up 2-0 and then Leicester scored in, I think, just about the last minute with Dyer knocking himself out uh, just yeah. about to, um, to yeah, score the winner. I remember that one. Um, I think Mahrez yeah. went nuts in that one as well, so that was a pretty entertaining game. Um, you've just touched on it, Cookson, so we should probably discuss your FA Cup triumph. Um, and typical United, it was in extra time after struggling to a 1-1 draw in normal time against Palace. Um, what were your thoughts on that game in the context of Van Hal getting sacked so soon afterwards? Did you, did you, could you sort of disconnect the result and Van Hal's performance of the season, or did you kind of uh, have some sort of admiration for him because of it? Well, he did a decent job. Wasn't good enough, and... Yeah, he got sacked. You have to disconnect, really. I mean, most United fans felt the same. Still, it could be worse. But he didn't do an embarrassing touchline dance at Guardiola. <laughs> so, but yeah, you just have to disconnect. I mean, he won the FA Cup, which he hadn't won for 12 years or something like that. And it was a youth player who scored it. He was introduced by Van Hals. So, again, there's a bit of a positive. But, yeah, so- you have to disconnect. How do you see Van Hal's legacy at the club? As you've touched on, he obviously blooded quite a few younger players. Um, do you perhaps see two or three years down the line when those guys are a bit more senior that that United supporters will look back and actually be pretty grateful that those guys were introduced into the side? Well, his legacy, the way I see it, will pretty much be boiled down to signing Martial and introducing Marcus Rashford. I mean, it's the bare bones of it. I mean, kind of lucky in both regards because Will Keane and Rooney got injured. And then Rashford comes in. And again, with Martial, he was pretty much a ballsy deadline day move, but both turned out to be pretty successful. I mean, yeah, so probably the big legacy. I mean, it took Rashford less than 100 days to go from under-18s to Euros, so... Scoring, for, scoring against Australia as well. Yeah, conflicting moments, those goals. <laughs> <laughs> um, on the other cup finals that we've had since the last podcast, we've also had the Europa League final and the Champions League final. Um, Champions League final, first of all, tough for Atletico Madrid falling on penalties to Real Madrid. Um, how did you guys see that one? Very boring and dull. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't. If it wasn't a final, I think it would have been even more boring. But I guess you kind of knew that it was going to be quite a tense game. Um, especially, I think that's the way uh, Simeone likes it. Um, but yeah, I, I always thought that Madrid would, would get over them. Um, there's just too much. I think they really started to improve as well under Zidane towards the end. So they they just did look a bit stronger. Um, going into it but yeah that's what that's number 11 for them now so yeah just and a fantastic Pepe, club Pepe managed to make himself look like an even bigger toss bag <laughs> that's somehow possible and so did so I, some, I like him but I could see how some people might think Ronaldo did the same um, putting himself fifth when you know Probably the best penalty taker in the side. You'd 
want early on. I'd, I've always thought you'd want, you know, just in case it doesn't get to that fifth penalty. But obviously he kind of wanted the the goal-winning uh, shot. So, yeah, that's, that's how I've heard some people look at it. Um, and after his celebrations, the first time they beat Madrid in the, the final, and I think he scored the fourth goal um, to put him 4-1 up. Yeah, you could kind of see a little bit of a pattern there, but good on him. You know, he's a fantastic player, and, and I kind of like it. I like the you know, the individuality about him. So, yeah. And then obviously in the Europa League final, Sevilla won their third in a row against Liverpool. Um, there's the side plot there about Mamadou Sacco not being able to play in the game um, after the uh, issues with that drug test. Um, do we? F- <laughs> it's probably a question that I know an obvious answer to, but do we feel sorry for Liverpool at all or are we just happy to see them lose another final? Nope. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then, that, but then, commendations for Sevilla. Yeah, I do feel sorry for him a bit, mainly because my my opinion on the Europa League is the dropouts from the Champions League don't deserve to be there, and I think it's the second time of the three that Sevilla's yeah. won that they've done that. So you know, it's a bit. I do feel sorry for the sides that have to go through. You know, and play in Azerbaijan and, you know, some the Ukraine runner-up, you know, on a Thursday night. And then this side waltzes in in the knockout stage and, and comes in and wins it all the time. So, yeah, that's that's the only part of me that, that <laughs> feels sorry for Liverpool. Um, yeah, a player being there or not, you know, that's, that's why that happens with injuries and things like that all the time. So... I'm sure they'll they'll sue and I don't know who knows what they'll do. They'll make a protest and all stand up on the fifth minute or something at Anfield <laughs> next season. But good luck to them. They got nothing to do midweek next year, so they can come up with something clever. Thoughts on Sevilla, Cookson? Well, they looked pretty good. I mean, Coke well, Coke scored two goals. Uh, Kevin. Gamerio looked very good and has looked pretty good all season. I mean, they just... Well, Liverpool were good in the first half, but the second half, Sevilla just they came just in and threw dominated yeah. them. I mean, Liverpool's defence was, well, shambolic and comedic in the second half with some of the goals. But, yeah. I mean, you start James Milner in midfield. Kind of get that. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, well, we might wrap it up there, boys. Um, did you guys have any closing thoughts? Any any big transfers that you're hoping to get get uh, over the line? Uh, hopefully, Lacazette or Lacazette um, does come to us. I think he he can he can be a good partner for Kane and and also you know fill in for him on his own. Um, and then I think the rest will be kind of obscure for us. Um, kind of like Kevin Wimmer and Deli Alley were the year before. So I'm happy to, to be surprised um, with who they come up with. And how about you, Cookson? Get Rafael Varan or Marquinhos. Then maybe go to pop into Atletico Madrid and buy Saul. 
or Andre Gomez. Just get some good midfielders, good centre backs, and also a right winger, like whoever's there. Maybe get Graysman. Spend big. <laughs> Fair enough. Woody flash the dollar dollar bills. <laughs> well, thank you both for coming. And what on. about Hull? Who's um, Hull? Oh, here we go. Yeah, before before we uh, sign off, I oh, look. I don't know. Half half the bloody team probably needs improving, but uh, it's a difficult one because you look at the squad and you think most of that squad was there the last time we got relegated, and at the time probably shouldn't have been relegated. Um, so you kind of flirt between wanting to do a Norwich and not really um, replace too many of the squad players, but you also don't want to make their mistakes and, and end up getting relegated again. So uh, it's a tough one. I, I, I've just heard today that we've offered new deals for Huddleston and El Mahamedy, which I'm not too sure about, um, as depth they might do. But I'd probably be looking at at least getting a new couple of strikers in and, and a couple of midfielders. But... Um, the club's kind of in the middle of, of takeover discussions, so I don't think we'll get too much news on um, transfer targets for at least the next week Until or two. That. But yeah. yeah, so it's all going to be quite interesting. Um, a couple of interesting weeks ahead, I suspect, but at least we've got the Euros to keep us entertained in the meantime. Um, yep. Yeah, so, so thank you very much for coming on, boys. Oh, thanks for having us. No worries. Thanks for all your appearances over the season. Um, Thanks to everyone for listening in. Uh, if you click the link below this one, you'll be able to listen to the second part of our wrap-up uh, summary podcast of the season where we'll go more into detail on the title race, the relegation battle, and also the playoff final that Hull won just last weekend. Uh, so hopefully give that one a listen as well. But until next season, we'll see you on the forums. <laughs>